Please turn your Bibles to Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1. We're going to read verses 9 through 20. <clears throat> we'll also read from Matthew 28. Mark chapter 1, verse 9. <clears throat> Let us hear God's word. It came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And immediately coming up from the water, he saw the heavens parting and the Spirit descending upon him like a dove. Then a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Immediately the Spirit drove him into the wilderness. And he was there in the wilderness forty days, tempted by Satan, and was with the wild beasts, and the angels ministered to him. Now after John was put in prison, Jesus came to Galilee, preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God, and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And as he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Then Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. They immediately left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little farther from there, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were also in the, in the boat, mending their nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and went after him. And then from Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20, this is the Great Commission. Matthew 28, verse 16, let's hear God's word. Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had appointed for them. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always even to the end of the age. Uh, today's sermon was preached here about 20 years ago. I wasn't able to prepare a new one for today. I'm sorry about that. I received permission to preach this sermon uh, again since most of you weren't here when it was preached before. Um, please keep your Bibles handy as we uh, go through uh, the, um, I'll be looking up, referring to several other passages. The two passages that we've just read bookend Jesus' public ministry on earth. With the calling of the fishermen in Mark 1, Jesus began his public ministry. And with the great commission given after his resurrection, he completed that ministry. That was what we read from Matthew 28. We'll be looking today at how these fishermen got from A to B, from being called by Jesus when he appeared on the scene by the Sea of Galilee, to being commissioned by him to evangelize the world after his resurrection. We look in particular at Jesus preparing these men for carrying out that great commission. We'll have four points formulated as questions today and some concluding thoughts. 
Now here are the four questions. How is Jesus revealed in Mark chapter 1? Why did Jesus call these fishermen? How did Jesus prepare the disciples for ministry after his return to heaven? This will be the main focus of our consideration today. And fourth, what were the results of Jesus' ministry to the disciples? And finally, as we conclude, we'll hear Jesus calling all the peoples of the earth to faith and discipleship, including all of us gathered here today. So first question, how is Jesus revealed in Mark chapter 1? In order to understand what Jesus called the fishermen to do, we need first to look at Jesus himself. That's because his reasons for teaching and training the disciples arise out of who he is. In Mark 1, Jesus suddenly comes on the scene, on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, and calls these fishermen, verses 16 through 20. Looking back a few verses, verses 9 through 11, we see that he has first come to the Jordan River and been baptized. There he has been set apart visibly for his work. For heaven is opened. The Holy Spirit has descended upon him like a dove. And from heaven, God the Father has spoken. You are my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Here Jesus has been marked and identified. Chosen and beloved of the Father. Blessed and empowered by the Spirit. Jesus' baptism is an event that would itself bear thoughtful consideration. But today we pass over it and hurry on. Then immediately after this, in verse 12, the Holy Spirit drives Jesus into the wilderness. There for 40 days, famished with hunger, he does battle with the devil. And in the power of the Spirit, he wins the victory. The devil, defeated, has to leave him. He will, of course, seek another opportunity. And now Jesus, blessed by the Father, empowered by the Spirit, victorious over the devil, comes to Galilee to begin to be in the ministry for which he has been sent to this earth. Verse 14. And he comes preaching. He says, the time is fulfilled. Don't miss the significance of that. The time is fulfilled. That is, the long-awaited day of the Messiah is, is here. Repent, the Messiah says, and believe in the gospel. The good news that I am proclaiming. Repent and believe. That is his message, and he comes to the Sea of Galilee and calls four men to participate in that ministry. As he walks beside the sea, he sees Simon and Andrew, fishermen, and he, and he says to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. Verse 17. Now let's pause for a moment right there. Is this not a rather unusual occurrence? This man appears and utters these words, and these fishermen, it says, immediately leave their nets and their livelihood and follow him. And their friends, James and John, do the same thing. Does this incident strike you as odd? What kind of man is this? Is he a sort of pied piper who could hypnotize people and make them follow him? Well, no, Jesus was no Pied Piper. But we know from chapter 1 of the Gospel of John that these men actually knew quite a bit about Jesus already. We learn there that two of John the Baptist's disciples, one of whom was Andrew, 
had earlier come to Jesus to find out who he was and had actually stayed with him, according to John chapter 1. Andrew was so impressed with Jesus that he went and found his brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah and brought his brother to Jesus. John 1.41 So these men actually knew who Jesus was. So it wasn't so very strange that they would immediately leave their work and follow him when he called them. Back to Mark chapter 1. What more do we learn about Jesus? One thing that we should note is that there's an amazing amount of activity involving Jesus throughout the chapter. From the moment that Jesus appears in the scene in verse 9, this chapter is a virtual blur of activity. The word immediately occurs no less than 10 times between verse 9 and the end of the chapter. It's in verse 10, verse 12, verse 18, verse 20, verse 21, 23, 28, 29, 30, 42. 10 times. We see fishermen leaving their nets and following him immediately. Demons being cast out immediately. People being healed from their sicknesses immediately. It's very clear that someone unique is here. He's endowed with authority and power from God the Father. He's blessed by the Spirit and he has defeated the devil. And so these amazing things happen immediately. They show who Jesus is. As Andrew had said earlier, we have found the Messiah. And Andrew was right. The one who is calling the fisherman is indeed the long-awaited Messiah. And so these men respond. We move now to the second question. Why did Jesus call these fishermen? Who were these fishermen? They, were they people with extensive formal education? Well, no. They were intelligent. Two of the four later wrote books of the New Testament. But they weren't formally educated. They were ordinary folk. They weren't scribes or Pharisees, the theological experts of the nation. For the most part, those experts did not have hearts for God. The fishermen, by contrast, though not formally educated, were looking for the Messiah and had hearts for God. Jesus' prayer, recorded in Matthew 11, shows that the kind of people who followed him during his ministry were ordinary folk who had hearts for God. Listen to Jesus praying. This is Matthew 11, verse 25. He said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and prudent and have revealed them to babes. Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in your sight. Hearts for God, willing to learn, willing to be made ready to proclaim the gospel. And since the gospel is central to Jesus' ministry on earth, as soon as he comes to Galilee, he calls these men to be made ready to proclaim that gospel. Follow me, he says, and I will make you become fishers of men. That is, I will prepare you to bring the gospel to the whole earth, to bring people into God's kingdom. And so, when Jesus calls these men, he tells them right up front what their ministry will be. There are to be men set apart right from the beginning as disciples who will catch men. Their specific ministry will be to proclaim the gospel, seeking the salvation of sinners. 
That's what Jesus is calling to here by the Sea of Galilee. And it's a direct call. This leads to our next point, our next question, which is, how did Jesus prepare the disciples for ministry? And this will be the main focus of our consideration today. As we've seen, Jesus does lots of things immediately in Mark chapter 1. But interestingly, he doesn't tell the fishermen to begin preaching immediately. And that's significant. Follow me, he said, and I will make you become fishers of men. I will make you become fishers of men. He calls them first and foremost to be followers, to be disciples. They weren't ready at this point to be fishers of men. They had to learn from Jesus. They had to be taught and trained. And Jesus was quite intentional about this. In Mark chapter 3, when he chose the 12 apostles, including these four men, it says that Jesus chose them that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and to have power to heal sicknesses and to cast out demons. He chose them that they might be with him, it says. Their calling was first to be with Jesus, to learn from him personally, and be changed and formed and molded by him, and then to be sent out to preach. That's what their calling was. And that's a significant part of what Jesus did during those three years of his ministry on earth. He prepared the apostles for what was to come. That preparation took place within the context of a personal teacher-disciple relationship. It included some public preaching, some casting out demons, some healing, some healing diseases. That's in Mark chapter 6. But Jesus' main focus was preparing them to minister after his resurrection and ascension. To illustrate how Jesus prepared the disciples for ministry, I'd like to give a single extended example. We look at a little of Jesus' personal ministry to one particular disciple, the best known one, Simon Peter. And we'll focus particularly on what happened on one occasion that Peter would never forget, the night that he denied that he knew Jesus. We see Jesus dealing with Peter before, during, and after the denial, the denial and following up later. That night was a very significant one. The night that Jesus was, was to be betrayed and condemned to death. The evening began with Jesus and the twelve in the upper room in Jerusalem. There he celebrated the Passover with them and instituted what we now know as the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. Then he showed them what it was to be a servant by himself going around after supper and washing the disciples' dirty feet and then explaining what he had done. It was surely a night for learning, a night for sober reflection for the disciples. At least it should have been. Then before they went out to the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus' great ordeal would begin, he turned to Peter for he had some things to say to him to prepare him for what was coming. This interaction is recorded in Luke chapter 22. I'll read four verses here. And as we read these verses, remember that Jesus knows what is going to happen that very night to himself and to Peter. He knows that Peter is going to deny him, deny that he even knows him. And yet, Jesus works with him here. 
Luke 22, verse 31, Jesus speaking. Simon, Simon. Indeed, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned it to me, strengthen your brethren. But he said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and death. Then he said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster shall not crow this day before you will deny three times that you know me. Let's look together at this conversation and observe how Jesus works with Peter. Simon, Simon. Jesus speaks to him gently, calling him by his personal name. He tells Peter that Satan has demanded to run him through the mill. He doesn't miss his words. He tells Peter plainly that he's going to deny him. But notice how Jesus follows up the next thing that he says to Peter. But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. Isn't that wonderful? The Son of God praying for this weak and sinful man who is going to deny that very night that he even knows Jesus. Even before Peter falls, Jesus tells him that he's been praying for him. He tells Peter that. And for his further encouragement, he tells him he, that he will yet have ministry to his brothers. See how thoughtful, careful, and pastoral Jesus is as he ministers to Peter. What Jesus said here would surely encourage Peter after his denial so that he would not be overwhelmed when he grasped the magnitude of what he had done. What amazing commitment. What tender love Jesus shows to this all-too-self-confident disciple. On the night before, Jesus himself will be crucified. Jesus is lovely here. He's just lovely here. And Peter is still self-confident. Listen to him. Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Jesus says, I tell you, Peter, the rooster shall not crow this day before you will deny three times that you know me. And of course, Jesus was right. Peter indeed denied him that night. Three times. How heartless and unthankful those denials were. But Jesus wasn't done ministering to Peter, even in this hour of his denial. When Peter denied for the third time that he knew Jesus, Jesus was, was within earshot, standing before the high priest. And when the rooster crowed, Luke tells us that the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Luke 22, 61. Many sermons have been preached about that look. But we'll take note of just one thing about it. That Jesus was still ministering to Peter. For that look was surely a sorrowful but conscience-piercing rebuke to his fearful follower. For that look, Jesus betrayed by Judas, denied three times by Peter, forsaken by all his disciples, arraigned before the high priest, facing unjust trial and cruel death. In this hour of his own great need, Jesus still ministers to Peter. 
that look was just what Peter needed. Peter understood it. For it says that he went out and wept bitterly. Bitter tears of sorrow and repentance. After that, you might think that Jesus would not want ever to see Peter again. But Jesus wasn't done with him. And he didn't leave him crushed. After his resurrection, Jesus appeared to his disciples by the shore of the Sea of Galilee. This is in John chapter 21. It might even have been at the same place where he called the four fishermen. For they were fishing again when Jesus appeared on the shore. I want to read the interaction that Jesus had with Peter after they had had, 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 had breakfast together. It's recorded in John chapter 21, verses 15 through 17. Here's the account. When they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Feed my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. This is Jesus following up on Peter's threefold denial drawing from Peter a threefold commitment of love. Simon, son of Jonah, do you love him? And each time Peter says that he loves Jesus, and then each time Jesus affirms his forgiveness and acceptance by telling Peter to care for his sheep. And so Peter knows that he is fully forgiven for his denial and charged with the spiritual care of fellow believers. Isn't that wonderful? And because of Jesus' ministry to him, Peter is also now a changed man. A man truly humbled and now finally ready for ministry in the service of Jesus Christ. We've seen Jesus here working with one of his disciples. There are doubtless many other teaching occasions for all the disciples that haven't been recorded. Follow me, Jesus had said, and I will make you become fishers of men. Jesus called them and prepared them. And these men received from Jesus three years of the best theological instruction and spiritual training that any believers have ever received. Three years from Jesus himself. And now after the resurrection, Taught and trained by Jesus and empowered by his spirit, the disciples are ready to begin to carry out the great commission that Jesus has given them. Our fourth point then, our fourth question is, what were the results of Jesus' ministry to the disciples? The fruit of Jesus' teaching and training of his disciples is particularly visible in the book of the Acts of the Apostles. We look today. Uh, we we'll look today at one incident in Acts, again involving Peter. 
It's in Acts chapter 4, shortly after the day of Pentecost, when Jesus had sent his spirit and fullness upon his followers. Peter and John have been hauled before the Jewish ruling council because they healed a crippled man in the name of Jesus. This is the same Peter who had denied just a few, few weeks before that he even knew Jesus. But see Peter here. Peter forgiven, restored, and emboldened. See what Jesus has done with this man. Peter is addressing the council. This is Acts 4, verse 8. I'd suggest you follow along, because it's quite powerful. Acts 4, verse 8. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day are judged for a good deed done to a helpless man, by what means he has been made well, let it be known to you all, and to all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands here before you whole. This is the stone which was rejected by you builders, which has become the chief cornerstone. Nor is there any other, any, nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. What a change. What boldness. What an amazing change. The account continues in the next verse. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled. And they realized that they had been with Jesus. They realized that they had been with Jesus. Brothers and sisters, isn't that wonderful? Jesus had called these men. He had worked with them for three years and all of their sins and shortcomings, their grumblings, their pettiness. And through his ministry, accompanied by the work of his spirit, he had transformed them into great men of God. Men who, as their enemies said later, turned the world upside down. It wasn't just the twelve apostles who were transformed. The lives of the people whom they evangelized and baptized and taught were likewise transformed. The apostle Paul noted that the people whom he evangelized at Corinth were not high class or influential people either. Many of them were probably slaves. In 1 Corinthians, Paul reflected on how the believers in Corinth had been loved and called by God to faith although they were not esteemed highly by the world. This is 1 Corinthians 1, verse 26. Paul says, For you see your calling, brethren, but not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. And the base things, excuse me, the base things of the world, the things which are despised, God has chosen. And the things which are not, and the things which are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, that no flesh should glory in His presence. And the gospel spread and spread, not without much opposition, but the church was built, 
and in a very real sense, the New Testament church arose out of that small beginning by the shore of the Sea of Galilee, with Jesus calling four ordinary men. By the grace of God, the proclamation of that gospel message has brought salvation to countless millions of people throughout the earth. You may be familiar with Tertullian. He was an early church father. He lived in Carthage in North Africa around 200 AD, around 170 years after Jesus had ascended to heaven. There's a rather remarkable quote from Tertullian that demonstrates the extent of the spread of the gospel by the year 200. Tertullian's addressing a pagan audience. He's writing, actually. And he's reflecting on how much the gospel had spread in the Roman Empire after Jesus' ascension, all around the Mediterranean Sea. Here is what he wrote to the pagans. We, Christians, are but of yesterday, and yet we have filled every place among you. Cities, islands, fortresses, towns, marketplaces, camps, tribes, companies, palace, senate, forum. We have left nothing to you but the temples of your gods. That's from Tertullian's Apologetic, of his best known work. <clears throat> There's perhaps a little exaggeration there, a little bit of hyperbole. But Tertullian was making a point. And his, <clears throat> and his goal was to make clear to the pagans that something amazing had been going on in the last couple of centuries. How the gospel had advanced. Jesus had trained the apostles and they had preached and baptized and taught others. <clears throat> By 200 AD, the gospel had spread throughout the Mediterranean and since then throughout the world. <clears throat> this is the result of Jesus' ministry to his disciples. The four fishermen <clears throat> have long since been taken into God's presence. Their work of calling people to faith in Jesus is done. But Jesus still calls people throughout the earth to faith in him and discipleship. In his word, he calls all human beings to put their trust in him and be his disciples. As we close, I'm going to read what I think may be the most beautiful call in the Bible. It's Jesus' call to the weary in Matthew chapter 11. It's a basic call to faith and discipleship. Listen to what Jesus says. This is at Matthew 11, verse 28. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. You will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Come to me, says Jesus, and I will give you rest. He's actually inviting all the earth and all of us here today to come to him. Is anyone here weary and burdened today? If you are, come to him. He will give you rest. If you're burdened because of sin in your life, you might be tempted to think that he wouldn't want you. But not so. He calls you to come to him, repenting of your sin, 
humbly seeking his forgiveness. And if you do, you will, like Peter, receive that forgiveness. And with it, rest for your soul. And he calls you to a relationship, a relationship of discipleship. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, he says. He calls you to be with him. To learn from him. To be his disciple. He's not a hard taskmaster. He's truly gentle and lowly in heart. His yoke is easy. And his burden is light. Let's pray to him. Thank you. Thank you, living God, for sending your Son, Jesus Christ, to this earth. Thank you, Lord Jesus Christ, for being willing to come. Thank you for, for dying on the cross to take away the guilt of our sins. We rejoice in your resurrection from the dead and your present glory in heaven. And thank you for this call to come to you, burdened as we are by troubles and especially by our sins, and in you find rest for our souls. We ask your forgiveness of our sins. We seek your grace that we might be better disciples, walking with you day by day, learning from you, being with you, being molded by you. Accept us, we pray, as we make these requests in your glorious name. Amen. <laughs>